Hi, this is Veronica Red, and you're listening to TV Confidential. The Robert Show with a reminder that Harry Shearer will join us at the top of the hour. Please stay tuned for that. In the meantime, Greg Airbar is with us. Normally, Greg talks about DVD and streaming titles that we think you'll find of interest today. Greg is talking about a book that we believe you'll find of interest, that book being When We're Singing, The Partridge Family and Their Music by John Ray Miller, a comprehensive history of the Partridge Family music and Partridge Family record albums available exclusively at When We're Singing. Before we went to break, Greg was talking about how David Cassidy was the breakout voice of the Partridge family, not only on their record albums, but also on the show itself once the producers discovered that he had a knack for comedy. And what happened in the fourth season is there were rumors he was going to leave the show, so they experimented with bringing in people to see how they would work. And even though the executive producer claimed that that was never the case, it was difficult to find somebody who had both gifts, could sing and could do comedy, because David Cassidy is also underrated for his, his ability to do to have the timing and to play against Danny Bonaducci, which basically they were they were the comedy team, and then Danny Bonaducci was also the comedy team with Dave Madden. Yeah, in fact, in Dave Madden's book, Ruben on Rye, W-R-Y, the two takeaways is of the four years he thought... The first year was the best because it was the most realistic. As you said, it it mostly depicted their adventures as a touring family. And on a personal level, he had the most to do that year because we actually saw Reuben Kincaid taking care of the sort of problems that a manager would take care of. And so we saw Reuben Kincaid solving problems. Uh, the most famous of which was the Tomato Juice episode. But he also said that he found the last three seasons less satisfactory as an artist because as David Cassidy's star rose, routines that were originally written for Ruben and Danny became rewritten for Keith and Danny because they wanted to showcase David Cassidy more. And Dave Madden was a professional. He was still getting paid the same amount of money. He was just saying fewer lines per episode. But you do what you can because that's the vagaries of episodic television on network level. Yeah, that's the family thing. That's the Dr. Smith on Lost in Space thing. That's kind of what, what happens. And you can definitely see that because what the writers had to evolve was how do you take this virtually perfect teen idol and make him relatable when everybody knows he's, he's this star that packs stadiums and so what they did was make keith kind of the butt of the joke they made him a little bit conceited so he was constantly deflated because the partridges were very a sarcastic family they all kind of had a a mouth on him even shirley Uh, but danny was the was of course the the king of the of the quips and so he would constantly put keith in the situation of being the not so smart one who thought he was smart because he was, he was kind of stuck on himself and don't touch the hair. Don't touch the hair. So you had that, that thing going and that kind of what was, what became the comedy because it was, it was becoming a domestic comedy. I think it was also a network and production thing because I think what the case is with sitcoms and any television show is they start cutting the book when the show matures. And, 
costs more money for them to be on the road. They've got to do more set units. They've got to build sets. They've got to have more guest stars. And, and from a talent point of view, most contracts, the star's salary increases incrementally from season to season. So that's another factor as well. Shirley Jones arguably probably made more money the final year. So therefore, in order to keep the show profitable, you, you, had, to, you had to cut back on some of the, on well, some yeah. of the format. Yeah. And historically, David Cassidy got a whopping raise because they found a glitch in his contract because he'd signed it as a minor. Oh. So, they, <laughs> so they, they had to renegotiate. And so he got paid one of the highest contracts um, at the time. Wow. So that, and I think that's another reason why a, a show gets different because that was the other thing is they put it on against all in the family uh, in its last season. And come on, there's, there's, no other reason to put it on sabotage. <laughs> I mean, you don't put the Partridge family against all in the family unless you wanted to go off the air. When that when the show was at its peak, you simply don't do that. Yeah. Uh, and the, there's and the just ama- no way. The, the amazing thing is that it lasted a full season opposite All in the Family. They didn't cancel it after 10 episodes. Greg Airbar is with us. Greg and I are talking about when we're singing, when we're singing, The Partridge Family and Their Music, new book by John Ray Miller that provides a comprehensive history of the Partridge Family music and record albums. Available exclusively at whenwe'resinging.com. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. A couple of fascinating things I also found out from this book was why there are 11 cuts on a Partridge Family album is because the producer, Wes Farrell, just thought instinctually that if you put six songs on side one and only five on side two, it subconsciously makes the listener feel like there's something missing and they should start the record over again. <laughs> or, or, or just the idea of wanting more, which is something Walt Disney always felt. The attractions are just the right length because you should always want to go on them again at the parks, you know, because you should always be wanting more. So that was it was on purpose that side two was shorter. Another thing is the one of the famous songs that Rupert Holmes wrote, Echo Valley. You know why that number is what it is? There's absolutely no reason why the numbers are what they are. It's just how it how it sounds, how it rhymes. He says you wouldn't want to put a seven in there. It wouldn't sound good. It's just that those particular numbers have a rhythm and a, and a feel to them that are right. The reason for Echo Valley is the song is about remembering and being wistful. And the word echo is that. That's why that's the title. <laughs> but there's no reason. It's not a real phone number. It means absolutely nothing. That was kind of a fun thing to learn. So that's the sort of thing. It's not just little trivia things. It's that it really makes you go back if you've got the albums or even a greatest hits which is very easy to get and say oh goodness you know oh one one other thing that one of the most famous point me in the direction of that song was they were so impressed with that they wrote the episode for the song that is very unusual. Usually, 
in the first season, they tried to kind of keep the, the song somewhat related. But in general, the mood had to kind of match, but they were moving too quickly. And plus, they thought it would be kind of cheesy and in a way not very good to make the songs match exactly what the episode would be. So they match the songs in mood, but not necessarily to story. And that way they could also play some songs more than once and some songs, not at all. There are a few songs on the albums that are never in the episodes. One of my favorite songs is, and it's not, it was not written for the Partridge family. It's actually a cover song, which I found out. into the episode in which Reuben Kincaid falls in love and thinks about marrying and leaving, and leaving yes. the group. With Nancy Malone. Yes, with Nancy you know, Malone as his leading lady. It's, 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 I think it's one of the sweetest episodes of the series, and you, you learn that deep down Reuben Kincaid actually does like the kids, despite his demeanor otherwise. But they use the song very, very well, and it's probably Dave Madden's greatest moment in the show. And it shows that he has a purpose and that what he does isn't easy and that he really knows what he's doing. That is a really good example of why the show is and what makes the show unique. It truly it was a show about a family who was who was in show business, but also a family and had, they had other things they had to take care of. They couldn't take care of that. And they didn't have a, a good replacement for him. And he had to deal with kids and he had to de- it, it, he was a perfect fit for that job. And that is a great song. I love I'll Meet You Halfway. That's better than no way. That's, that's a beautiful song. And it has a lot of variance in it. There's a lot of, a lot of good ones on there. The company that made the, uh, the things, that uh, the, became, it became a publishing company, Pocket Full of Tunes, was run by Wes Farrell. He was sort of the Don Kirshner of, of the group, very flamboyant guy. Chelsea Records became a major concern in his publishing company, and they made other albums. And among my favorite albums of all are the albums made. There were two albums made for Captain Kangaroo. Good Morning, Captain, the theme song by Bob Rush, who went on to do The Wonder Years, and uh, Colors, which is even better because the, the vocalists are all through it. And one of the cuts on colors is It's a Beautiful Morning, which was the Rascal song. And that's because Wes Farrell bought the catalog. I found that out in this book of the, of the Rascals. And it's a great arrangement of it. It's got horns and they have, I mean, lavish, lav- and they sound like Partridge Family songs. I would tell anyone, if you love that sound, and if, there, if you, anybody watched the Captain Kangaroo show in the early 70s where he wore the blazer and Debbie Weems was on it and Mr. Baxter, that was when they played these as videos all through it. And it bugged me in the Come On, Get Happy TV movie where somebody made a crack about, I'm going to have to go back to Captain Kangaroo if this doesn't work. Where in reality, they moved up to Captain Kangaroo as a result of the success of the Partridge family because they were supplying songs for it. I don't know if that's mentioned in the book, but I wanted to mention it because I love those albums. The book being the Partridge family and their music new book by John Ray Miller that provides a comprehensive history of the Partridge family music and 
record albums. Available exclusively at whenwe'resinging.com. You can read Greg Erebar twice a month at cartoonresearch.com. Take a quick time out, then Harry Shearer will join us when we come back. Harry Shearer, voice of Mr. Burns, Ned Flanders, Smithers, and many other characters on The Simpsons. Then we will welcome character actor Tony Winners, all that and more. We can back for hour number two of TV Confidential. Stay with us. This week in TV history now has its own podcast. You can enjoy this week in TV history with Tony Figueroa on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you find podcasts. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash tvconfidential, or at TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411. Or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.